was thinking this week about the lessons that mothers uh, teach us, about how moms always choose to see the very best in us. I mean, I don't know about you, but like I've never seen a mother grab a baby and look at this baby and say, well, this is as good as, it's get, as it gets, right? You never have seen a mother do that. Uh, instead of that, when a mother holds a child, instead of just seeing a cute child, the mother sees the next president. That might not be the best idea under current circumstances. The, the mother sees the next CEO of a big company. You know, they see uh, this great human being that they're raising. And, uh, and, and they do that while the kid is just trying to get through the day. I mean, they don't even have any plans at all. They can't even talk. Uh, another thing that mothers remind us about is gratitude. I love that mothers possess a spirit of gratitude in their hearts, and they teach us about this every single day. From the time my kids were infants, I have thanked and praised Jesus for helping me keep them alive every day and thriving every day. <laughs> Being a mother has been one of the most humbling experiences of my life um, because you, you kind of have this sense of the miraculous in everyday living. Every day you, you wonder how it is that this creature that's, that's so fragile is ever going to turn up into a, a strong adult. It's, it's a miracle. Thinking about moms and their grateful spirits is what actually led me to choose as our scripture for today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. A lot of people use this uh, chapter of Thessalonians to talk about pastors and church leaders. However, I have always felt that my mother was the first minister I ever met. I actually think that mothers are the first ministers that most kids meet. My mother helped build my faith. She read me the Bible every single day. She taught me to be faithful to God. She taught, she taught me to put God first. Also, seeing my mom in action as a minister helped me discover that being a minister is not a very profitable profession. I mean, if hugs or kisses, and I'm sorry, were currency, moms would be millionaires right now, right? Can I hear an amen? Amen. So here's what 1 Thessalonians 5 says. It says, brothers and sisters, we ask you to respect those who are working with you, leading you and instructing you. Think of them highly with love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are disorderly. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure no one repays a wrong with a wrong. But always pursue the good for each other and everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Continually. Give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. <coughs> to give you some context on this passage, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter for the church in Thessalonica that appears to have forgotten how to be grateful for the leaders who have sacrificed so much to build this community. Paul is basically telling them to stop taking these leaders for granted and to pursue God more intentionally so that they can behave in a more godly way. I want us to focus first on verse 17 where Paul says, pray continually. The word continually in Greek 
Adeleptios, uh, it means to, to pray, to, to do something without ceasing, assiduously. So Paul is challenging them to be in constant communication with God because for Paul, uh, prayer is the foundation of the life of a believer. And this foundation matters because gratitude is not a simple emotion that we feel now and then. Gratitude is a discipline that is intrinsically tied to the way in which we relate to God and uh, to the way in which we choose to treat others as a consequence of that relationship with God. So basically our vertical relationship with God informs and, 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 and bleeds into all of our horizontal relationships and the people that we care and love for. That's why Paul says, you know, that when we pray continually, we can live in peace with each other. Then we can guide those who are acting disorderly. We can comfort the discouraged. We can help the weak. We can be patient with everyone. We can be forgiving instead of holding grudges. We, we can be a blessing to others, and then we can be joyful. But Paul doesn't stop there. He continues in the same line of thought, and uh, he, in, uh, he teaches to the church in Philippi. He says, don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by becoming a human. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself even to death on a cross. Now, I don't want to stand up here and say that these are easy things to do. Personally, I did not become a person of prayer that's grounded on prayer, and I did not become a grateful person until I left my country when I was 16 years old and actually came here to Houston to live in Houston. Suddenly, uh, it hit me that I couldn't just walk two blocks down the road to be with my 20-something uncles and aunts and 61-something cousins. I have a lot of family, y'all. But it dawned on me that I couldn't just walk down the street to be with all of them. And it was a hard, to, hard reality to accept. I regretted so much about the way in which I took some of them for granted and, and about the way in which I treated some of them, frankly. But then being far away from everybody I knew also was the catalyst for this prayer life. I don't remember any other time in my life in which I was so close to God as I was whenever I found myself here alone in a different country. I would pray all the time. I understood what Paul was saying with pray continually. I was very close to God. God was my one and only refuge. I can say that for sure. Also, it made me realize that oftentimes... The greatest gifts that we will receive from God are right next to us. But for some reason, we don't seem to be able to be present with them. And we don't seem to be able to, to, to treat them well or treat them in the way that Paul is asking them, us to treat them. Now, back in Ecuador, 
I took these people for granted because I was very entitled and spoiled, very spoiled. But now, the, you know, in, in our day and age, a lot of people blame our lack of presence on technology to say we're in love with our devices more than we love people or God. Some other people say that we're so entertained that we, don't, we can't focus on, on people anymore. And some other people say that we've become so enamored with our things that we don't seem capable to, to pay attention to people anymore. But some of these things might be, might be true, but I think that those are just symptoms of a greater issue. Our lack of gratitude has a deeper root, and it, is, it has to do with us forgetting that we are God's children. Our lack of gratitude is tied to our lack of humility before God that bleeds into other areas of our life and affects the people who are closest to us. One of Eric and my favorite persons in this whole world is from Honduras. Uh, when we were in Kansas City, we, we met her there. Um, she had just moved from Honduras and um, she had moved because she was seeking asylum from gang violence in, in her country. Um, all she could really talk about is how much she couldn't wait to get her kids to live here because she was also afraid that the gangs were gonna try to recruit her kids and, you know, and she was terrified of that and wanted to bring them right away. She spent every dime that she made in trying to bring her kids to Kansas City, paying lawyers to fill the applications and everything. We were helping her pray for that because she hadn't seen them in a year and I know that can be torture for any mother. Finally, her applications were accepted and we were all celebrating with her because her kids were gonna come, they were gonna be with us, uh, with our community. Uh, but then we got word that her oldest son had been killed by one of the gangs. I, I can't really describe the anguish that Anna felt when we found out the news. Apparently he was walking home from school and he was shot and killed because he had refused to be initiated in one of the gangs. Eric and I, seeing that she didn't have any family in Kansas City, we talked to some people in our church and we decided to take turns hosting her and she stayed with us for about two months. During that time, right after we heard the news, we did everything in our power to try to be there for her, to try to offer her comfort. When I would see her crying, I would go and say, hey, Anna, is there something I can do? Please just give me something to do. I just feel so bad. I just want to be there for you. And I would listen to her stories about her sons. She shared so many of those stories with me. And they were beautiful stories, by the way. Until one day she said, you know, Pastora Giovanna, she called me Pastora. Pastor Gio, you guys call me something different, but said, you know, I, I'm gonna be okay. But I am gonna tell you that when we were in Honduras, we were, we were dirt poor. There's no denying that. But if you would have asked my son if he was poor, he would have said no, because he was so well loved. I told him that I, loved him that I loved him every single day. 
I would hug him whenever he wanted a hug. I would take any kisses he wanted to give me. I would hear his stories about toys and then about his cars, like the cars he liked, he wished he had. He had. And then I would hear his stories about his friends. And then he, I heard his stories about his girlfriends, even though I hated those stories. Um, I can't think of anything else I could have done to, sh to, to show him that I loved him more than I already did. said, I am not crying because I regret something. I'm crying because I miss him so much. And I know I shouldn't be wishing this because my, God, my life is in God's hands. But I do wish that I, I could just go to heaven because I just want to hug him and kiss him one more time. Now, God sent Anna to our church and to Erica my life during a very difficult time in Kansas City. We were basically trying to raise a toddler and an infant all around, on our own. And that was not working out, y'all. It was really, really hard. We were losing our minds. Some of you might be thinking, well, Anna was that way with him because that was her son and that's what moms do. But let me tell you something. I mean, Anna really wasn't, that's what, that was who she was. I mean, it, she was a very kind person. She loved our kids so much. She would listen to Eric and my stories for hours at a time. And Eric and I can talk. I mean, like we, when we get talking, we can talk for a long time. And she smiled and she paid attention. She was present with us. She would lay hands on us whenever we were discouraged. She would just pray with like one hand on each of our heads and she would pray for us. She basically did everything that Paul was saying that we should do for other people. And she did it in such a natural way. But she did that because of her devotion to God. Now, I know that anybody who went through anything like what she went through would just curl in the corner, corner and maybe even blame things on God. But that's what we admire her the most about her is that she never blamed God. And she remained a person of prayer and fully committed to God even in the midst of the greatest storm of her life. It was obvious that the joy and the strength that she found was, were based on the spirit of God. It was God empowering her every single day. And I'm happy to report that her other son and also her mom are now living with her in Kansas City. Um, Eric and I liked her so much that we actually wanted to delay moving to Houston because we we're going to miss her so much. That's the kind of person she was. The reality is that when we choose a posture of humility before God and humility before other people, like Anna, we represent a greater reality. We, we become witnesses of a grace that is hard to find. We become godly people. We become the kind of people that, that other people want to be around. One thing I always remember from her is that I would always find her praying psalms. And, you know, it's okay to pray some of the short psalms, but she used to pray some of the long psalms, like 119, 139. I would, I would find her, like, humming in the kitchen nonstop, reading these psalms. And it was kind of annoying, but, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't say anything. 
the funny thing is that it started as something annoying, but then I, I, whenever I went through my own difficult times, I realized that sometimes you just can't find the words that you need to pray to God. And that's why she was praying these psalms, because this, this, these psalms were saying the words that she just couldn't find within her because she had gone through so much. One psalm I fell in love with that she used to pray over and over again was 139. And since then, I've adopted that psalm as, as one of my daily prayer routines. Uh, and this is a beautiful psalm. And, and the reason I love it so much is because this is one of those psalms that humbles me, makes me realize that God is so much greater, so much stronger, that God is my creator, God is my sustainer, God is the one to whom I owe everything. It humbles me before God, and it allows me to really understand just how good I have it all the time. I just love this psalm. And I'm going to read you a little excerpt from it. It says, if I went up to the heaven, you would be there. If I went down to the grave, you would be there too. You are the one who created my innermost parts. You knit me together while I was still in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you because I was marvelously set apart. Your works are wonderful. I know that very well. Just about every morning, I don't read it every day, but I read it a lot. This psalm just fills my heart with gratitude. It puts perspective, it brings perspective back into my life. It puts me, it gives me a bird's eye view of what is happening. It helps me see that I am not in control, that God is in control, and that I am so blessed. Even during the darkest times, I'm reminded that the God that we serve is a faithful and good God that will never abandon us. When I'm praying in the mornings and I'm reading some of these psalms, it usually reminds me just what, how much of a miracle my kids are. It reminded me even of the miracle that it is that as, as of last Friday, I've been married to Pastor Eric for 19 years. That's even a greater miracle, y'all. Seriously. They're getting to see some of my good friends every, every week. It's such a gift that I should never take for granted. It opens the, to me the reality that, that my family still loves me so much, even though sometimes I have been so unfaithful to them. It also reminded me this last week that God made each and every one of you with such a purpose. And that for some miracle, God brought us all together. And we're united worshiping together. And we're united in this vision to, to, to inspire other non-religious people to follow Jesus. And we're doing this together. It's a miracle. Being grateful people requires us to be humble before God, to step on our pride, to step on our vanity, to step on that greed every single day so that we can notice just how blessed we are, how good we have it. Even when things are not going our way, it doesn't matter. God's still faithful. And that's why Paul can easily say, be thankful in all circumstances because gratitude is not based on circumstance. Gratitude is based on how amazing the God that we serve is. Another author that I 
read often when I start forgetting just how amazing life can be is Bonhoeffer. And the reason I go back to him is because he helps me put things in perspective. When I think that things are not going my way, when I think that, think that things are, are falling apart, then I go back to his books. I pull them out off the shelf and I start reading them again. I did that last week again. And I like him because he completed some of, some of his writings while going through a situation that most of us would consider just hopeless. He was imprisoned during the Nazi regime, regime accused of being uh, uh, of, con of conspiracy, and, and he wrote some of these letters from prison before he was executed. This is what the pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about gratitude under those circumstances while in prison. He said, only those who are thankful for small things also receive great things. We keep God from giving us the great spiritual gifts that he has for us because we do not give thanks for daily gifts. We think we cannot be satisfied with the small amount of spiritual knowledge, experience, and love given to us, and always look greedily for greatest, greater gifts. We then complain that we lack the great certainty, the strong faith, and rich, rich experience that God has given to other Christians, and we believe that our grievances are righteous. We pray for the great things and forget to give thanks for the daily, small, yet in truth, not small gifts. But how can God entrust us with great things if we will not even thankfully receive the small things from his hands? Today, during communion, you'll have yet another opportunity to step on pride on vanity, on greed, and to be grateful once again. When you come to this table, you will, you have the opportunity every single week to hear directly from God. And God is telling you during communion, you are my child, and the way I'll prove how much I love to you is that you, like all of that suffering, all of that struggle, all of that pain that the, that the cross inflicted was all worth it because of you, because of how much I love you. All that Jesus endured was worth it because you were so loved. And God wants to, to let you know that. And God wants to welcome you back into that love and to let you know that you can be redeemed and restored and made new. So communion, communion is a powerful symbol of the God that we serve. As Pastor Eric comes to communion, you will have a time to remember and be grateful again. And I hope that at that time you'll remember to be thankful even for the smallest things that he has given you. But today, guys, you can't get off the hook. Today you have some of the the biggest gifts God has ever given you. You have your mom sitting next to you, some of you. It is a time to be grateful for the things that God has made. Let us go to God in prayer. Jesus, we love you. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst, for your presence, for your love that is so abundant. We're thankful because you formed us in such an incredible way. You made us for, for this time, and you, you created us for a purpose that's beyond what we could comprehend. 
We praise you for all of your works that are just amazing and that remind us that we are created for more. Don't, don't let us settle for anything else than your love. In these moments, Father, I pray that you will restore your spirit in us and help us to be grateful again and help us to lay aside vanity and pride and all the things that are separating us from you and make us new again today. We pray in your name. Amen.